Make your way back to your seats, grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 22. That was a typo, a verbal typo, Luke, Luke 23. We have moved into another chapter. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts to consider this most holy scene and sacred among all the scriptures, the most sacred are these, the depiction of the, the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of the Son of God. And as we venture to walk this road, this way of suffering of our Savior, may you show us afresh and anew things that will encourage us and show us. For, for you have willed this to happen. This is by your plan to demonstrate your great love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So help us to receive it for how you meant it, to show your love for us and our significance to you. Let us not be discouraged by it and turn away from it, though it's so intense. Let it do its work in our hearts to, to write our lives, the proper perspective of living, that we mean a lot to God. So thank you, Father, as we are secure in your grip that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus' death on our behalf. We reflect now and ask your help. In Christ's name, amen. A very vivid illustration of the gospel message is found At the tail end of Dickens' famous novel, A Tale of Two Cities, set in the dark days of the French Revolution, when the guillotine was really the preferred method of execution for the bad boys, patriot Charles Darnay was condemned to die. But this Englishman named Sidney Carton had a plan to save him. Now, some of you know the story. Since he and Darnay were very similar in appearance, in fact, they were virtual lookalikes, his plan had a chance to work. Hours before the execution, Carton shows up for a jail cell visit. Once inside the cell, the two men quickly exchange clothes. Carton will soon be the dead man walking. The condemned prisoner will go free out the doors. Now, on the way to the guillotine, a woman who was also on death row, according to the novel, recognizes this man because she had known the condemned man, and she now is clued in that this is not the man condemned to die. This is somebody else. So she grabs his hand and says there in the novel, are you dying for him? And she moved with passion, says, I have been able now to raise my thoughts to him who was put to death that we might have hope and comfort. Now, the heart and soul of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that exact picture 
66 books, 40 different God-inspired authors over a span of 2,000 years. One story, Jesus Christ becoming man, dying a death that he did not deserve for sinners to reconcile sinful man back to God. Romans chapter 5 says it so eloquently. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone dare to die but though for somebody, though for a righteous person, somebody might really dare to die. But Christ demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So in other words, Christ's altruism is much more grand than this man in the novel because the man in the novel dies for a good guy. But Jesus, the scriptures say, ups that a notch by dying for a bad guy. Well, who would do something like that? For somebody despicable and shameful and guilty and selfish and greedy and lustful and proud and arrogant and hurtful, who would exchange places with somebody like that? Enter the good news. That's the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son in a swap, that we become the righteousness of Christ, and he on that cross becomes the load of sin and shame, the guilt offering that was meant for me and for you and anybody else who had sinned. So the context for this morning's reading, it has been a long and torturous night, perhaps the longest night of all for our Lord and Savior, He has been this night taken to uh, be interrogated by the Jewish courts first. So from the, the Last Supper to the arrest in the garden, he has been up. Now that's Thursday night, Thursday, 12 midnight. Now we're into Friday. All night long, the Jewish court has been in session. And at daybreak, they have rendered their final verdict guilty of being of blasphemy, saying that he was, in effect, equal to God in every way. Now, at the first gleam of light, still the context here, he has been sent now to his Roman trial because the Jews could not execute him, and so Rome had the power to execute, so the Jews hand him over to the power of Rome. And that is Pontius Pilate. He is the governor there at the time. And now, as we saw last week, Pilate has initially initially examined him and finds no fault with him. He's getting rather antsy. He wants to not condemn what he calls an innocent man. And so we saw last week that he sent Jesus off to Herod kind of a congressman for the district of Galilee across town to see if Herod would take care of the matter. But as we saw last week, he gets led to Herod. He does not open his mouth once to Herod. 
Herod just wants a, a dog and pony show from Jesus. He's not going to turn it into a circus. And so he mocks him. He puts on a scarlet, uh, shimmering robe, one of his old royal garments, on Jesus. They mock him severely and lead him back to Pilate for the now the final phase of Jesus' trial. At the end of his legal road now, this last two paragraphs, he stands before Pontius Pilate, finally, done, and the verdict will be rendered. He will be crucified. Now, that we have a little picture of that. This is where we're at. Luke chapter 22, you can leave it up while I'm reading. Luke chapter 23, that is, starting at verse 13. Now, he's just returned from Herod. He's got the purple robe still on him from Herod. And now he stands before Pilate for the very last time. Pilate calls together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. So now common people are in the courtyard. And said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas is going to play an important role here. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city, which means like a riot, a a rebellion, and for murder, wanting to release Jesus. Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, Barabbas, and surrendered Jesus to their will. All right, thank you for showing that. Now, things are not going very well, but they are going according to God's plan. Not according to the Jewish officials, not according to Pilate or to Herod or to Judas or the screaming crowds or the 12 disciples or his mother. Things are not going very well because God has ordained it not to go well for this man, Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, the second person of the Godhead, whose whole mission and good work here is to die on our behalf, as the Old Testament foretold. As Jesus told Pilate, heaven is the one calling the shots, not you, Pilate. So things are not going very well for Jesus. Peter says in his uh, sermon, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he's preaching to the same kind of crowd. 
fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But listen to who's in charge here. Peter's already saying some two months, the day of Pentecost, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that this is all part of God's plan, using the free will and the evil sin of these men to do his good pleasure and holding them accountable, even though God is in charge. If any one of them wanted to opt out of their role as bad guy, they had the opportunity, and God would have found him another bad guy. Jesus had to die, was preordained to die, predestined to die. He came to die. But woe to the man through whom these, these uh, decisions will come. He still holds them accountable because he's using their free will. And that's just a mystery, and God is able to do that. God gives us a free choice. He says, choose the right way. <laughs> and he gives Pilate so many different ways to get out of this, but Pilate chooses not to take the exit, the escape there. A couple things I think that the Holy Spirit wants us to see before we now embark with Jesus down the Via Dolorosa, called the way of suffering from the Latin phrase. You can walk that walk, as I have, and many of you have, from the place Jesus is condemned, the picture you just saw, to the place called Golgotha in Hebrew, or Calvary from the Latin, which means place of, place of the skull. And many say because the rock formation there looks like a skull, and I've seen that, and it does look like a skull. And so two things I see before we move on to walking with Jesus with his cross beam on his shoulders there. Two things, I think, that the Holy Spirit wants us to see. Jesus is, first, the perfect lamb, and secondly, Jesus is the perfect substitute. So Jesus must die on Passover for a reason. God wants to link Jesus' death to a 1,300-year-old holiday called Passover. For 1,300 years, once a year, the Jews are gathering to perform what they think is just a commemoration of a festive holiday remembering the time when the, the, the Jews were busted out of slavery in Egypt. But God planted that seed and said, now your Jewish calendars will be changed. It will be a new year. And Passover would mark a new year for the Jews because it's through the blood of the Lamb he wants to plant that seed in their hearts that they were saved in this mystical kind of way through the blood of a lamb. You remember the death angel was coming down, the 10th plague, and everybody, all the firstborn were going to die, except anybody who had taken a lamb, slaughtered it, 
take some of its innocent blood and put it on the sides of the doors and on top of the door uh, posts there. And, he, and the Lord said in Exodus chapter 12, the very first institution of Passover, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over and you will be spared from death. For 1,300 years, he said, you have to do that every year. And then on the night, on Passover, well, on Thursday night, they're celebrating it a day early because Jesus will be busy on the actual Passover. And so on Thursday night, he says, guys, we're sitting around that Seder dinner. It was all about me. I am the lamb. I'm the meal. I'm the blood on the doorposts of your hearts. And when God sees that blood applied to your life, death will pass over you. You physically die, but you will stand there and you will live and you will live forever. That is the why Jesus is really called the lamb. But, you know, new Christians and folks who come to our church for the first time, we're singing about the lamb. And they always ask, well, why do you call Jesus the lamb? Well, there's a few reasons, but basically, well, it starts with really, it reveals to us really a side of the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a lamb. Now, I just went on a hospital call to Vacaville, and I took Pastor Adam, the youth pastor, with me, and we went down Lakeville Highway, which is like Lamb Central, you know. And on each side, green, green meadows and all these lambs. And I just said, how can anyone's heart not be attracted and drawn to those lambs? And you just see them. They're just, you know. And Adam said, the cowboy who grows up on the ranch, he said, I asked him about it. He said, oh, they have a high degree of cutability. He said, you just want to... Pick them up in your arms. You just are drawn to them. They're just really, you know, I guess you had to be there. But (laughs) let let me show you a picture of what I'm talking about. I mean, come on, folks. I don't care if you showed up in all leathers and you got a Harley parked out there. You said, oh, (laughs) come on. What is God saying when he says, I want to I wanna reveal myself as the lamb, all through Revelation, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. He's saying, you know, you come with, to me with a right heart, you got nothing to fear. I mean, when you talk about the force that made heaven and earth and this holy, righteous God, I mean, you can get freaked out. He says, I'm gentle and humble of heart. Come to me. Don't be afraid. I'm the lamb. Ah, yeah, that's nice. However, don't let me give you the wrong idea. There are two sides to this lamb, all right? There's another side. I love how uh, Romans puts it. Romans 11.22 says, Behold the kindness and severity of God. In other words, notice how God is both mercifully kind and deadly serious. The the lamb becomes the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you want to come to God honestly broken the way you are as a sinner, crying out, you've got nothing to fear. You just come to that lamb. All is well. 
You want to come to him and resist truth and tell him all of this was by some accident. There is no such thing as you. I can sin all I want. God doesn't even see me. God's not here. This is all my doing. I brought myself into existence. Thank you very much. And I am the captain of my own destiny. Then you got a problem. Because there's another side to the lamb. We haven't even seen his roar. But when he roars, Jesus says, the earth would not have any life left on it unless those days which are coming with that Aslan type character, Jesus Christ. When he comes back, the Bible says life would not exist if he didn't cut the day short. That's how horrible it's going to be for those left behind. So don't mess with the lamb or the lion, just not smart. Thank you, Haley, for that. So it reveals his nature, yes, but really the whole deal about Jesus being the lamb is his, his reveals his mission. He's the Passover lamb. You know, sin is the problem, and so he had to fix that by taking the sin away. And the way to take that away was to become it for us and pay the penalty. That was the only way to give us life. God is just, and so he's not going to wink away the fact that you have sinned. That sin has to be paid for. So he comes up with a, up with a way to be totally just and totally loving at the same time. By him taking your rap. Now, somebody's paid, and there's justice in this world. You know, it, it really is Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the whole message of the Bible. That Jesus was going to come. And take sins away. That's the whole message. It starts in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are, are dead in their sins. They're ashamed. They're hiding behind some tree naked. They've sewn something together to cover their shame. And animals are put to death by the Lord. And the skins of those animals cover their nakedness or their shame. Nice try, Adam, with the sewing. You know, it's not going to happen. Only a life that was killed, bloodshed, now you're covered. It starts in Genesis 3. And then in Genesis 22, Isaac is walking up the very same hill, Mount Moriah. Isaac carries his own wood as a picture of the only son carrying wood up the same hill 2,000 years before Bethlehem happens. Abraham lives 2,000 years before Christ on the same hill, Mount Moriah. Now the true Isaac stands before Pilate. Joseph, the patriarch's robe is torn and dipped in blood. And he's thrown into a well. And now the true Joseph, his robe has got blood on it. The serpent fastened to the pole that brings life the way the true remedy will be nailed to a pole. The rock that is struck in Numbers chapter 20, that rock is Christ. You strike the, the rock and what comes out? Water. When they struck the rock in the wilderness, water came and watered the children of Israel in the desert and they, they were 
they were saved by that water. The javelin is thrust through the rock hanging on the cross, and what comes out? Water. All through the Old Testament, oh, time and time, I've got a huge list here. I can't even do it. The whole Bible is getting you ready for this moment that God himself would come through the, the human womb of a virgin and he himself lay down his life and become the sin payment for the sins of the world. Therefore, John the Baptist sees him coming and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is why he is called the Lamb of God. And so for 1,300 years, every spring on the 14th of Nisan, which changes because it's a lunar month, it's April or May, uh, March or April, depending on where the moon's at, they have Passover. And now it's Passover. And he's there. How did that happen? How could he die on the very day that he has been prophesied as the Passover lamb, the lamb of God? You know, I said that to a Jewish coworker once. I said, I love Passover. We're both at our little cubicles, and she's typing away, and I was typing away on the keyboard. And I said, I just love Passover, and I love Easter that follows the Lord's Resurrection Sunday. She said, why do you Christians, you know, she, she said, I understand that you're a Jew, but now you're a Christian. I don't understand why you're so excited about Passover. And I said, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. And I've told you this before. She's typing away, and she went like this. Passover lamb? Jesus is the Passover lamb? I've never heard that before. I said, yeah, he's the reason. The blood of a lamb can't do anything, but the blood of the Son of God, the innocent Son of God in my place, saves us. Now we don't have to drag an animal around to the temple courts and have the priest confess our sins onto the head of that innocent animal and slit its throat and be covered because of the death of an animal. That's not going to work. But it gets us ready for the true Sacrifice, Jesus Christ. She was touched. It's a powerful thought. Now, where does Pilate come in to all of this? Well, let me show you the correlation. While the Passover lambs right now in that moment are being inspected, because it can't just be any Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5 says, that see to it that the Passover lamb is perfect, spotless, without blemish. That's the only way it'll work. Now, you know, Jesus had to be interrogated to find out if he's kosher for the job. And Pilate is going to be your inspector. At the same time, folks, that the Passover lambs all over Jerusalem are being inspected by officials from uh, Judaism there, from the temple. They're checking behind their ears, opening their mouths, looking at their feet, checking them for any kind of sickness or birth defect. While that is happening, Pilate is checking out Jesus looking around, asking him all kinds of questions. And what does he come up with? He says, kosher. 
Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Listen to this. This is important. Listen to this. Then Pilate announces to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. One. He sends him to Herod. When Jesus returns, Pilate calls together Jesus' accusers. You brought me this man with many charges. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for your charges. Two. Neither has Herod. Three. For he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Four. Look, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, they cry out, crucify, crucify. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Five. Therefore, I will have him punished and then released. Why is it so important that Jesus be shown to be perfect and spotless like the Lamb of old? Well, it's if he is a sinner, he will be paying for his own sins when he dies. He would deserve to die. If he's a sinner, he has the de- same death sentence over him that you and I have. He has to be spotless. He has to be free of sin. Imagine you owe, I don't know, pick a number, $500,000, and you're at debtor's court, and you're ready to be thrown into prison or whatever they're going to do to you, and somebody in the court says, hey, your honor, I'd like to, to, to pay for this man's debt, all of it, the fees and the interest, every little bit of it, I will pay for him. Everybody, you know, oohs and ahs. And then with a little checking, you find out there are multiple liens against all of his accounts and properties. He's got a zero balance and worse than that. He's in worse debt than you are. What a joke. That lamb has to have a zero balance in order for it to work. And Pilate and the Holy Spirit is going to let you know. Zero balance, zero balance, zero balance, zero balance, zero balance. He's got the goods he can afford to pay your sins and everybody else's sins because he's the second person of the Godhead. He has the resources. His credit is good. He goes into the cross with thunder from heaven saying, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Not only does he have a zero uh, balance, he has 800 credit score or whatever perfect is. He's able. He's worthy. You think this isn't a big deal? I'm telling you, this is an important point to God. If Jesus is found to have one sin, you're going to be damned. You don't have a savior. Everything stops in Revelation chapter 5. Everything comes to a standstill in heaven. And John starts to weep. Why? There's this book, and and it's a scroll, and it has a seal on it. And the cry goes out, who is is worthy? (laughs) We need somebody worthy to open this, the destiny of mankind, the salvation of the earth. 
to go forward with God's plan. Who can open it? And there's silence in heaven and John is weeping and a great mighty angel is looking in heaven and on earth and under the earth and no one can be found and John is devastated. Why? We need a perfect, morally perfect, supreme being to be our savior. Life and death for our planet rests on, where's the worthy person? And then he says, stop crying. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. He is the God-man. He doesn't have an earthly father. He is fully man and fully God and able to pay. He is acceptable in God's sight. Three times from heaven, God the Father speaks, affirming Jesus as worthy. I saw this online. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe. He always was, he always is, and always will be. He's unmoved, unchanged, undefeated. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't exclude him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. False teaching cannot hide him. The New Age cannot incorporate him. Islam cannot blow him up. And Oprah cannot explain him away. He is light, love, truth in the Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his eye is on me. He is my redeemer, and he is my savior. He is my guide and my peace. He is my joy and my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. His goal, relationship with me. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, never forget me, never overlook me. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I am weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he's the way. When I'm afraid, he's my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he comforts me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trouble, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and every way because he is perfect in every way, my perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the perfect, spotless King of kings. He alone is worthy. Amen? Oh, I think it needs to be a little louder than that. Amen? All right. I wish I could go on 10 more minutes, just, or an hour, 
Or maybe that's why we have eternity, because we're going to be able to stand there and say what he really is. And so, you know, we see this is why Pilate says, hey, he's innocent. He's worthy. That's just crazy. So continuing on, last point, uh, enter Barabbas kind of suddenly with uh, Luke gives it, his appearance without Matthew and Mark's little uh, explanation. Pilate is squirming. Herod has no conscience, but Pilate, he does. He's got a conscience. It's weak, but can you see it? He's got one. He keeps trying to find a way. He's vacillating. He sends them off to Herod. He keeps begging with them. And now he's got this idea. Oh, there's a custom. At Passover time, I know how to get Jesus off. I don't want to condemn this innocent man. You know the custom? We, we can release the prisoner. I'll pardon him. It's Passover. And so he offers to pardon Jesus, the Son of God, and they say, no, not him. Barabbas, whose name means the Son of the Father. Barabbas will be you and me, the son of the father. Now, they bring out Barabbas. Well, Pilate, (laughs) Pilate can't win here. I mean, he's seeking, brings in the crowd because he thinks, well, I'm going to offer to pardon Jesus. And certainly the crowd will side. But the crowd that was on Sunday singing his praises and Hosanna now have turned to crucify. Pilate's dismayed. What happened? Well, one, Jesus turns out to be a Messiah that they didn't want. They wanted instant deliverance from the Roman oppressors. Now we see him bruised and bloodied. Come on, he's a fake. He's not the real Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah that looks like the second coming. But they didn't leave room for the suffering servant part of the scriptures. And so they want him crucified. The other thing that the world loves to do is on Sunday make you their idol and worship you, and then on Friday they want to kill you. Now, I, I look at many Hollywood celebrities. They make them these, these wonderful goddesses, and then they destroy them. My heart goes out to people like Britney Spears. She's, she's a soul made in the image of God. They cried, Hosanna, 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 and they made her who, what she was. And then they crucify. That's not just Brittany. That's old school. I mean, you got a whole bunch now. And they love to tear them from limb to limb after they set them up as their God. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. We love you on Sunday but away with him and kill him and execute him on Friday. So the voices are rising, tempers are flaring, threats are flying, and he offers to pardon Jesus. And you know what's crazy, folks, is is that they are accusing Jesus of inciting a rebellion, and that's sedition. They want Pilate to condemn Jesus for sedition, but they're screaming to release somebody who's been convicted and jailed and sentenced for sedition. You see, it's it getting a little crazy there. You know who Barabbas is like? 
standing there next to Jesus. Barabbas is like Jared Lofner, an anti-government, crazy madman who shoots a politician point blank in the head and then kills six others and wounds 12 others. This is the kind of man Barabbas is. He's a suicide bomber. And they stand a suicide bomber next to the Son of God. And the world says, give us the suicide bomber. Barabbas is a rebel. He's a murderer, the Bible says. He's on death row. But more than that, folks, as I wind down, Barabbas is you. Barabbas is me. All have sinned, the Bible says. All are guilty. All must die. All of mankind, 10 out of 10 of us, are on death row. The reason you must die is because you have sinned. Therefore, you are all, all of us, are condemned to die. Now, we have a chance to be pardoned. And here's the picture. We are like Barabbas, condemned to die. You know, amazingly, I had dinner with a guard from San Quentin who works in only one place, and it's called The Condemned. The place is called The Condemned. And he goes in under a sign that says The Condemned. That's where he spends every day. He works with all those famous names that you know or should say infamous names. I said, what is it like in there? And he raised his eyebrows, big guy. He said, I can't really put it into words. The Bible says, the world, dead man walking, condemned because of death and sin. And so we are like Barabbas. We identify with Barabbas by nature, but we can identify with Barabbas by choice. Now, God has the rescue plan. Barabbas can be pardoned, and Jesus will die for him in his place. Really, Barabbas is really kind of the only guy who could really say, you know, Jesus died for me. (laughs) Well, he really did. He did really die for us as well. But literally, he died. Now, check this out, guys. Barabbas gets new clothes. The doors open up. They say, see you later. Go home. He goes home for lunch. It's about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning now. He goes home and he has this party at noontime. Jesus is paying for that party. Because without Jesus, there's no party for him or for me or you. Here's a great quote. The murderer's chains, curse, disgrace, and physical agony are transferred to the innocent Jesus while the freedom, innocence, safety, and well-being of the perfect Son of God becomes the lot of the murderer. Barabbas now receives all the rights and privileges of Jesus Christ, and upon Jesus is laid all the horror of the rebel's position. One gets off scot-free, singing a happy tune, busting out of prison doors, new clothes, a shower, and off to go home to enjoy a lunch with his friends and family, while the other goes to be crucified. It's not a foreign picture, the swat. If you were healed of leprosy, 
which is a kind of a symbol for sin in the Old Testament and new. Back in Leviticus 14, there's a ritual that speaks of this whole thing with Barabbas and Jesus with us and the Lord as well, the swap. So here's the ritual in Leviticus 14. You can read it when you get home at your leisure. Here's how you would pronounce in the temple that that sinner, that leper, was finally cleansed. Here's the ritual. You take two birds. The priest would take two birds. And over a clay pot filled with water, he'd kill one of the birds. And the blood would drip into the clay pot and spill over the water and blood over a clay pot. Now see if you can see who's who here. All right? Now, into the clay pot with the water and the blood that will be stirred with a piece of cedar wood. Many people say that Jesus died on a cross made of cedar. Also, a purple scarlet piece of yarn dipped in and a little sprig of the hyssop plant. That would be stirred, mixed together, and then the blood and water of that concoction sprinkled on the live bird, and the live bird is taken to an open field and released. One flies and one dies. That is Barabbas and us and Jesus. Now, come on. The clay, the body, the human body, the water and the blood. You pierce Jesus, out comes water and blood. By his death, the wood, the cross, the scarlet yarn, he's wearing scarlet at the time. And the hyssop. Matthew 27 says they will reach a sponge filled with vinegar on the end of what? A hyssop branch. Folks, this is 1,500 years before Jesus appears at Bethlehem. The concoction, the dead bird, the whole crucifixion wrapped in one little ritual where the dead bird gives its life. And because of that whole cross, the purple, the hyssop, the crucifixion in the clay pot of Jesus' body, earthly body, the, the live bird, sprinkled with blood, flies free. Do not, for one second, make the mistake that because Jesus died for everybody, that everybody is saved. You don't have the sprinkled blood on your wings. You will go down to the ground. And worse than that, after you go down to the ground, there's eternal punishment for not applying the payment to your account that Jesus made some 2,000 years ago. It's a choice. He takes the son of the father standing next to the son of the father. Now, Barabbas, bar Abba, the Abba father, Barabbas, son of the father, whose father is yours? There's only one father for Barabbas, folks. It's the evil one. Now, how do you make Barabbas a son of the father? By switching. Listen to this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. 
so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By this, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans chapter 8. He's saying, you will become a true son of the Father. You weren't born that way, Barabbas. But we can, through a trade, through your repentance, through your change of heart, through your bowed knee, you can go from Barabbas. What a crime and a shame and a tragedy for Barabbas to have been released and to go home and remain stubborn and unmoved. To, to re-offend and to be arrested again and thrown into the same slammer and executed. Barabbas, are you a madman? You had your shot and your choice determined who your true father is. There's only two choices. The very, that very thought is what saved me. In a bar, losing my mind, 19 years old, one thought over and over again until I went, I had to leave the bar, assisted by my brother because I was losing my mind. The voice said, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again until I thought I was losing my mind. Over and over again, and I was standing in the corner, repeating it on my lips, Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? My brother sees me and brings me outside, slapping me around. What is your problem? And I'm trying to tell him, God, Jesus, God, Jesus, hell, God. And he said, yeah, I know. (laughs) And he became a Christian with me that afternoon. We left the bar, went for a walk in the park. But the thing that got me is if I don't have to go and somebody paved the way, why would I be so stupid and stubborn to keep going and pay the debt when it's been paid? That was it for me. That was it. That was my last day as Barabbas and my new day as a son of Christ, a new father, a heavenly father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness and your kindness and your severity. We have both of them. The kindness that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Behold the kindness. And then the severity. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him. The severity. The Lord Jesus will appear in blazing fire and destroy those who obey not the gospel, enemies of God and the truth, the severity, the kindness. When the grace of God appeared to us, you saved us, not by any good thing that we have done, 
but because of your mercy, the kindness. Father God, may your kindness win our hearts over, and may that be the reason for our living, to walk in you and your love, to realize what you did for us to be able to bust out of the prison doors. Thank you so much, God, for your love and making us a true child of yours. We love you. We give our lives back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing songs. Every time I see a mother blackbird trying to act as a decoy with their faking broken wing routine, you ever seen one? It's amazing. The cat's rolling, roaming around, and the baby's falling from the nest. And you see mama putting on this big, fat show <laughs> with a broken wing to attract the cat to her instead of to the baby. The, the great God who spoke the world into being did that little broken wing thing to death and to the devil. Said, so come on, right here. And he took it for you and for me. But what the devil didn't realize is that death can't hold him. He's God. So it all backfired. But a real good deal for us. So if you're here this morning, and you want to take God up on this offer to pay your way into the eternal life. And you never have before. Not rededicating your life, but coming to Christ for the very first time. You want to confess your sins and become a Christian. We're going to bow our heads now and the invitation goes to you. If you'd like to change your mind about the Lord and open your heart and receive him as the Lord. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God for you. And just slip your hand up nice and high and say, I'd like to become a Christian. Just raise your hand and we'll say a prayer together. You won't be asked to come down here, but we'll pray with you, give you a Bible. You'll get started on your Christian journey. Anybody here want to raise your hand? And and you can do this prayer any time, any place. Now, Father, for us who believe in you and have been made a true son or daughter of the Father, we give you thanks and rededicate our lives, Lord. Sometimes we forget how serious sin is and exactly how we've benefited from your wonderful grace of suffering on our behalf. And we just get lazy and careless and cold and uncaring. But may the truth of your word that we learned today fire our hearts up with love for others, love for God, passion and zeal for serving God and giving back our lives, laying them down for you, abstaining from the sin that you spent your life's blood to pay for. Why would we want to add more to your burden? 
So help us with a zeal for holiness, a, a love for God and service and for others, a tender heartedness, a humility that comes as a result of hearing these sacred words today. We thank you and commit ourselves to your care in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night, next Sunday. God bless.